Hello there. We're trying to keep Coral Chihuahua going, and so we draw your attention to the possibility of listening to us on Patreon for just a few quid a month. This also magically gets rid of the ads. That's Patreon with an E, patreon.com forward slash Coral Chihuahua. On with the app. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Right. Morning, Robert. How are you doing? I'm lush. I won't say lush again. You asked me that last week, and that caused letters from people in Bristol. Terrible. Um, the, the whole thing about who listens, um, we were just being told that one of the nicest things we've had said about Coral Chihuahua is, uh, I really like you in my ears while I do the vacuuming. And I think that puts us nicely in our place, doesn't it? Yeah, it's best. best I, can, I like it best when I can't hear you. <laughs> Um, so today we're talking Robert, about new groups, what, it, what it's like to form a new group. Can you remember in the mists of time, what, what persuaded you or urged you to start your own band? I, I think, I mean, I was going to make a flippant answer there, but actually I just really, really needed to sing one to a part music. It's really all I ever wanted to do. I had a school group, a four part school group that I'd done some really, I thought, cool stuff with. Um, loads of 16th century stuff in there based on you know king singers because there they were on the telly all the time in the 70s and 80s um and i just wanted to sing anyone to a park group and so in my end of my first year at university i set up one so i could sing some monteverdi because it was incredibly cool also um some close harmony arrangements from jungle book and the fairy liquid commercial your hands that you dishes can be soft as your face uh, in a nice cream uh, Fairy Lick. Isn't there a joke about Harry Lipsquid? I can't remember what that is. There might be. Uh, anyway, uh, you wouldn't advise it to anyone, would you, for, for your health? Because it is all-consuming. No one particularly wants you to do it. Um, <laughs> there are other groups out oh, there. Um, no one wants you to be innovative and to do interesting things, really. Um, and promoters can be slow to accept them uh, while thinking that they want them all the time. Um, it's it's just sheer bloody minded perseverance mm. as far as I can see, and you know, thirty eight years on as we now are, it, it's almost comic to me that anyone thinks that I'm at the, the end of the business where you've done it and it's you know it just flows now. Uh, blimey, it doesn't. It's constant, constant mm. um, hard work. So, with that massively depressing thought, welcome to Coral Chihuahua. 
Unexpected cadence in bagging area. Today we've got two of Britain's dynamic choral directors. Uh, hello, Ellie. Hello, Harry. Would you like to introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are and what it is you do. Ellie first, yeah. Hi, I'm Ellie Slorak. Um, I conduct um, orchestras and choirs um, around the UK um, and sometimes abroad. And um, I founded Cantos Chamber Choir in 2015. Nice. Harry? And hi, I'm Harry Bradford, and similarly to Ellie, I conduct choirs and orchestras in and around the UK, sometimes abroad, um, and I'm the co-founder and conductor of Record Diary. Lovely. Ellie, can we start with you? I mean, just tell us a little bit about what persuaded you, what gave you the kind of initial motivation to, to you know, as Robert says, kind of go down this slightly crazy route? Um, I think kind of similarly to Robert, it was almost a selfish reason. I was just finishing at um, Manchester University reading music and um, I'd been conducting the university chamber choir whilst I was there and was going to be sort of sent out into the big wide world and thought, oh gosh, I'm going to miss this. (laughs) This, you know, amazing group of people that just really want to sing interesting things and, you know, be, be creative together. Um, and I thought I was going to miss it. So um, I started it effectively with a lot of those peers, really, as we left university. And it's kind of grown from there and now has a completely different place in my mind. It now feels kind of um, necessary, basically, in the north of England, where there, there isn't um, a, a sort of equivalent based there. Yeah, and just tell us a little bit more about that because I th- part of the reason I think we wanted to talk to you is to get away from the London-centric uh, view because so much of British music, particularly choral music, happens in London. What are the challenges? What are the opportunities running a group that's kind of isolated, I suppose, in a certain sense? The challenges are that there aren't as many people being professional choral singers up there. In fact, it's almost impossible to live as a professional choral singer up there without traveling away from there um yeah you've got have you still got the daily service and that kind of stuff but it's well, that's, other than that, that's it's kind, kind of, of there's not so much of that to be honest um okay okay so that's that's yeah that's relatively little now that's not happening daily like it used to um in any way um there's a few cathedral um um jobs you know a few of them not loads um there's the opera north chorus but that's obviously a very different um style of singing um so really um there's nothing fixed if you like um the bbc uh, northern singers they obviously left us a, a while ago um the the challenges are the is kind of recruitment i guess um and trying our job is to try and make it viable for people to live up there to do that as their job and is that working so far can i ask uh, we're getting there. It's a long, okay. it's a long slog. Um, it's a slog, isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah. It all comes down to money, and it's the part of it. I mean, I I do the the artistic side of things, so I can't make it sound like this is my long slog. I have a wonderful um, partner in crime, Claire, who's been with me from the start, and um, she works incredibly hard behind the scenes um, to to build a funding pot for us. Um, but it's obviously very expensive, um, and we're in no way. Uh, providing full-time work for for choral singers um, in and around Manchester in no way 
Um, but that's the dream, and that's where that's okay. where we want to head to. Nice, Harry. Recognise any of those uh, parts uh, of the story? Scarily, yes. <laughs> There's a lot of it. Um, so I'm sort of here representing a, um, a group of three people. Um, so we sort of started in 2018, um, and I was approached by uh, my two fantastic soprano colleagues, Kirsty and Danny O'Neill, um, who I'd met on a choral course back when we were 17 years old, um, which I think is a pretty familiar st- story around <laughs> these parts. Um, and uh, they said oh, we'd really like to like the idea of starting a group. And I'd just started my master's at the Royal Academy of Music in, in choral conducting and had just been on the Genesis 16 program. We just had our first course, which Kirsty and I were doing together. Um, and I found that a really sort of transformative experience. It was genuinely some of the best music making I'd ever had ever come with in my whole life. And it was so amazing for me. And I just wanted to do more of it. The idea of working with with singers my age um, and with my ambition um, was just was just absolutely what I wanted to do, and yeah, uh, we went from there really. And just just for the uninitiated, the name of your group is Recordare. Lovely. And can you tell us a little bit about what you've done so far? What sort of highlights, lowlights, maybe? Yeah, <laughs> lowlights. Low lowlights are good, by the way, because mm. we just need to let, let people know that. It, it's, it's not all easy out there. It's not all, oh, yes, you've done one prizes and done wonderful concerts and they're always full and I can do difficult composers and people still turn up. Give, give us a low light as well. <laughs> well, the difficult the difficult thing is, of course, it's all been highlights. So what can I say? No, I'm joking. Of course, there have been some, <laughs> of there's been some low lights. Um, yes, I think um, there've been, there's a moment where you get your first sort of festival booking and that's a really exciting moment. Um, you know, for once, you're, you're not responsible um, for the pounds and pennies in that sense um, and making sure that you get an audience and singing out to full cathedrals and full churches is it's it's absolutely what you want but having said that I uh, I do remember the uh, the first concert we did post lockdown um, and I think there were more people in the choir than there were in the audience uh, so these things do happen um, but you pick yourselves up, dust yourselves down, and uh, and then you know the next concert we did was full. So it's uh, it swings around about in that regard. Um, but we, uh, I, I think Ellie will agree. You know, you, you, it's all part of the journey, and the the highlights feel sweeter um, because of the lowlights. We had six people at our first concert, and I think about five of them were my family. I mean, I remember the, a concert years ago with with um, Dunedin where we did a complete program of James McMillan. And the 16 singers, obviously one conductor, one organist, I think 10 people in the audience, and two of them were James and his wife. So it's <laughs> slightly it's, awkward. It's sometimes when you, when you go abroad and there are just sort of different expectations. And uh, Sammy, I think you were on that trip to Sweden in 2002 or three. Oh, yes, you were, because I remember you driving the Volvo um, quite fast towards um, an elk that seemed a long way away on a very straight road, except... We were going very, very quickly. Anyway, and we we turned up and we, they took us to this beautiful concert hall, walked us over the platform, around it, into the canteen. And that's where we did this concert of extremely high powered, you know, Poulenc, eight boy stuff, Berio, eight boy stuff, to an audience of 15. <laughs> oh, I don't think it was even that many. I think that the reason you might remember it as 15 is because a couple of us, a couple of the singers were in the audience at the start. But I remember there were nine of us singers and eight in the audience. But we did sell seven CDs, so it's, good. <laughs> it's a net win. Good yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, shall we have some music, Harry? What have you brought for us today? 
Um, I've brought um, one of my favourite pieces sort of in our repertoire. Um, and this is a Gustav Holst arrangement of the Cornish folk song, I Love My Love. Um, I think it's such an amazing uh, text and Holst sets it in a way that is extremely dramatic. And you get this wonderful arch um, sort of telling the story and then you're somehow in the story um, and then he sort of brings the microscope away at the end. Um, I think it's an amazing piece um, and I think it's, it gives a choir a real chance to showcase um, a, a variety of different sort of palettes and I love it.
That's lovely, Harry. It's a quite. It's a relatively sort of healthy, rel- soloistic sound from the choir. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's absolutely something we're after, really. And um, I think, particularly in discussion with Kirsty and Danny, I think one of the sort of thinking about the some of the thinking about founding the group was was all about trying to take quite a soloistic approach um, into choral singing, um, not just um, not just in terms of how we sound, but also how we look on stage as well. We want to be really engaged when we sing. Um, and I think one of the worries that I've sometimes had about choral singing is that um, particularly with audience members and when people are listening, it's um, the things we get are it's lovely, it's charming, it's sweet, it's calming, it's beautiful. And I think, you know, we don't expect an orchestra to play with one colour. Um, and sometimes I want choral music to be arresting or exciting or, you know, challenge us in those sorts of ways. And I think that's kind of what we're after with the sound, really. Yeah, that's lovely. Ellie, is that, you get on board with most of that, all of that, some of that? Yeah, to be honest, all of that. Um, I think we, we take a similar approach um, in terms of sound and and then also, yeah, in terms of the performance itself. I'm always trying to think when when I'm programming a concert about the sort of the like the roller coaster of the of the order of events and when we're when we're asking the audience to get involved with something that's a bit more I don't know frenetic or something and then when it does have the lull yeah I like that I mean Robert's I think one thing Robert's good at is uh, it's not very much but uh, he's good at putting the audience at the center of the of the planning and the experience Robert go on sorry you have something to say well I, I think that's interesting isn't it because I think there's a there's a thing there's a difference sometimes between what we want to do in musicians and what the audience's expectations are. And by audience, I mean the, the total audience, the listening audience. Now, you know, choral chill, that whole thing uh, yeah. on radio stations, I don't just mean classic FM, is something that's really encouraged, encouraged because they think there is an audience for just sweet listening to choral music. And to be honest, there is. And there's there is, large yeah. amounts of music written like that. We had a show before Christmas about fast music and why composers found it difficult to write interesting follow-up to that Roderick Williams for it is he um got in touch to say since that episode he's written nothing but very fast music. <laughs> uh, Bernard um Hughes as well uh, has plans so I think that's you know it's been a good thing but but there is this expectation that choral music does that chill thing and you know let's be honest it does um but don't but I think if you go to a concert you don't want that I mean is it just me or has anyone else looked out over a concert 20 minutes in and everyone's asleep? Um, and don't Sammy say it's just me because there is a thing about about a half past seven concert that people have probably been working all day and they come in uh, and then they sit down. Maybe they've snaffled a meal too fast, start to just fall asleep. And my job is always to make sure that doesn't happen by putting something very violent at about 10, 10 to 8 in the concert. <laughs> but, but it's your it's 10 to 8 classic. Yes. <laughs> Live concerts versus what one records can be different things. Yeah, I think you're right. It's 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 definitely all right for some choral music, isn't it? I mean, Harry, how do you how do you go about programming? What have you got a sort of a, a format or a template? Um, I think there's. Uh, I think as with a lot of people, I think it depends if we're going sort of thematically or whether there's going to be a, a huge centerpiece. Um, so one of our concerts, um, we we did the Martin Mass, for example. So that was our starting point, and then where do we go from there? And we sort of constructed a program around double choir singing in that regard. But a lot of the other time, you know, we might take a theme, um, and it can be very very loose theme. It could be the stars. It could be um, it could be love. It could be, you know there's and and we go from there and we find a piece 
Um, alternatively, you can come from the other angle and say, um, I really, really want to do um, Howl's The Summer Is Coming. And then where do we go from there? Yeah, and I think that's where, and I think as you were saying, I think pacing is a really important thing. Um, we've been in situations before where I've definitely over-programmed. I've definitely, I think particularly when you first start doing um, doing concerts, it's very, very easy to over-programme because we just love this music so much. Um, and uh, and so it's also finding a way of, 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 yeah, like you say, trying to find the right journey for the audience through the evening. And I think, like you say, having something arresting midway through or, you know, how are we going to link these three pieces together um, so that they join? And that can be both in terms of how they relate key-wise or do they relate with theme? And so, yeah, so you're, you're always sort of thinking, you know, do I want my audience to be leaving, you know, really, really kind of hyper excited? <laughs> or maybe would we put that piece two before the end and then just slowly bring them into the evening? I think it's all of those sorts of considerations. Yeah. Ellie? Um, yeah, I was just going to, I agree with all of that. And I was just going to add with to that, that um, often orchestral pieces are just so much longer and that and it's simple. You just pick one piece uh, for the second half. And that one of the sort of challenges I come up against is, is lots and lots of little short pieces and how they make sense in the whole. Um, so often I think, like Harry was just saying about how do you maybe go from one to the other um, if it's the same key, can we just kind of crack on? <laughs> uh, are they thematically linked? Maybe we can crack on. Maybe there's some way of doing a little sort of improvisation in between to get us from one to the other. Um, sometimes using different like um, formations of the choir, space, spacing and so on that just shakes things up when otherwise it could feel quite... I kind of love the fact that we can, we can um, jam all of these different pieces and genres into one hour sometimes and I love the feeling of finding a way through them that takes the audience from from this to that and this to that um in a way that makes sense um so yeah I think that's a challenge but also kind of fun yeah it's cool isn't it Harry I also love doing that when it doesn't make sense and trying to find <laughs> as tenuous a link as possible um and sort of I think maybe Ellie does the same but I occasionally will you know do a little bit of chat between numbers um, and when you've had a point where you go absolutely there is there is no way I have a link here but I'll try my best to find some really tenuous thing that doesn't make any sense and, and then just get hopefully enough people nodding with me to make to make it feel like it makes sense <laughs> that's the Petrock Trelawney link isn't it he's very very good at, very very good at that um, but that's that's interesting is it because that's a question about energy from one piece to another and you can have a perfectly planned thematic evening that wouldn't work at all because because there's a wave, there's a sort of energy that flows through a program that you, that you might think, oh, you know, take Finzi Robert Bridges' part songs, for example. There's lots and lots of variety in those. They're all connected and they work really well as, as one sort of surge. But you might find something else that seems to look good on paper but isn't. So there's this kind of alchemic mix of, of sort of energies. Ellie, you've done, you've done some quite interesting programs going to going to Cantos's website Cantos with a k by the way folks um Thank you. Uh, some really interesting uh you know you you look at the names of your programs and you think gosh i've no idea what what's going to be in that so you you've thought a lot about the whole business of programming in 20 in the 2020s and audiences regular core audiences perhaps going down and how might you get people to come along otherwise yeah i i do think about um, I'm sort of leaning more and more towards putting a, a concept on the program rather than than selling it by by the music itself. Um, I'm sure there are people out there who will totally disagree with me, but I think 
sometimes I'll, I'll have a piece and that will drive the concept, but sometimes the concept comes first. And I think, wow, that's going to, that is just a story that we can tell with choral music. Um, one that's kind of popping to mind that we've done a few times now is the Lancashire Witch Trials, which is um, sort of tells the story of what happened. It uses the some actual texts from the trials, which are incredible and obviously very poignant and very moving. And we've interspersed that with um, all sorts of music, really. Um, Allegri's Miserere, some birds, some Gesualdo, um, some music by female composers, which felt obviously right, considering the subject matter. Um, and the the concert has some some kind of a little bit of movement and um, all in all, it kind of becomes it's almost like a choral opera <laughs> almost. Um, and it tells this story. And, and, and by the end, you know, we've, we've actually performed lots of music that you might expect to see on, on a choral program. If, if you just went to what I might call like a normal concert. Um, but we just happened to have told this story as well at the same time. And, and I think we did draw in an audience that did not come because they wanted to hear a choral concert. Um, and that's quite important to me. And I think also that, comes into sort of venue selection as well. We do performing in the Stoller Hall a lot in Manchester, which is the sort of the right size concert hall for us, if you like, and and in churches and so on. But um, we also go to amazing venues like the White Hotel in Salford, which is this um, ex-MOT garage nightclub. Um, and we're about to go to um, another um, nightclub in Salford called Partisan for our love programme. Is the White Hotel in Salford, does it have a slightly naughty reputation? Because given the programme you were doing there, which was the Seven Deadly Sins yeah. and some of the, the blurb that you wrote about it, it did seem to be quite an interesting place to do that concert. It's um, it's an amazing place. I mean, they have this great um, um, guy there called Chris who, who runs these sort of, um, I guess, cross-genre um, performances and brings classical groups in, like Manchester Collective as well. Um, and then often we collaborate with them. So Chris himself is a spoken word artist, um, but they also have, you know, a, they'll have a DJ playing before and after we're on. And um, and I mean, obviously the place is a nightclub normally. Um, so I don't look at the floor to, to in too much detail when I'm in there. But, um, <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> I mean, it's the same in the in, in the festival hall, isn't it? <laughs> Um, look, I think it's probably time for another bit of music, is it? Ellie, have you got a suggestion for us? Maybe something from your choir? Yeah, I've brought along um, a, a track from uh, an album that we recorded um, in quite early days for us. Um, I think it was in 2018. Um, uh, it's by Rebecca Dale, and it's part of her piece, um, Materna Requiem, um, which she wrote for her mother. Um, the final piece of the Requiem is an a cappella piece um, and my um, conducting tutor at the um, RNCM invited Cantos in to perform with the Royal Liverpool Philharmonic Orchestra and at the time that was I think a big risk that he took on me and the group and um, I think the risk paid off so this is um, the final um, movement of um, Rebecca's Requiem.
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. That was In Paradisum from the Materna Requiem by Rebecca Dale. It's a lovely piece, Ellie. It's gorgeous, isn't it? And I'm really grateful to Clark Rundell for um, bringing Cantos into that that project and that recording. So thanks to him. Robert, you and I know Clark from uh, 2008. I think we did the Burial Symphonia with um, Royal Liverpool Phil. Clang, again. <laughs> uh, available from no good bookshops. No, there's a, there's a, there's a five-minute bit of film of it happening actually gosh isn't he clear as a conductor you know the number one thing from a conductor you've got to be clear and and especially in a piece like that and he really was what a fantastic piece that is i rather imagine a lot of conductors will be rushing to google and looking up where they can get copies of that and um, thanks for bringing that to us yeah it's lovely now look both of you i think i'd like to just think a little bit more about um what what's next i mean what happens next we're we're st- we're struggling, aren't we, a bit culturally in this country? It seems like a particularly grim moment. How do we as musicians kind of inspire or even just get the next generation through the door to our concerts? So uh, you both strike me as people who have good and strong and, and imaginative opinions about that. Can you tell us a bit? Harry first? Yeah, I think it's a, yeah, it's a, an ongoing issue, isn't it? I think we were, we were just saying that um, often at our concerts, you know, we get a, a C 
of uh, of grey hair in a way of people that come to our contents, and we are we are absolutely completely appreciative of those people. We we <laughs> not looking at anyone on this podcast at all, you know. Um, but uh, it's <laughs> everyone's checking their hairlines. Um, it's yeah, it's I think it's really important to try and encourage um, a younger audience, and and that um, from our perspective, I think as people um, with with groups and with a potential um, to try and and bring younger audiences in, I think it should be in the forefront of our minds. Um, and whether that be, you know, potentially trying to run your own outreach projects um, from the outset, that's to try and get in, you know, to inspire a, a new generation to love choral singing. I think one of the interesting things has been, you know, it's not necessarily about creating the next generation of choral singers, but it's also creating a next generation of people that will enjoy concerts, that will, you know, that feel that music is an important part of their lives and something that they can, you know, really um, get value from. Yeah, exactly. And do you find, is it, is it therefore, I mean, what has worked better for you in the past? Is it traditional programming? Is it sort of innovative stuff? Um, is it different places? What, what yeah. works, do you think? It's interesting because I think initially you want to say innovative, innovative programming, you know, different disciplines. You know, we've done some multidiscipline things with, you know, electroacoustic composition and with re- reimaginings and these sorts of things. Um, but um, but actually, with particularly with social media, I think um, you know there's often you'll find that with use of TikTok or Reels or these sorts of things, you know, and getting to a wider audience, often it's the very very traditional pieces, things like Allegri Miserere, you know, um, that uh, that really that really captivate young audiences in a way because they've never heard something like that before. So I think you know I think in this generation, our social media presence is a huge part. Um, of of our offering and and how we can we can get to younger audiences. Yeah, that's how people kind of metabolize the world often, isn't it? Really, so it's it, it's a really important part. Ellie, I notice your your bio mentioned something about being at the cutting edge of British choral music. Tell us what that means for you. <laughs> um, I think that's that kind of goes back to the things that we were that both Harry and I were talking about the, the kind of the sound and the performance elements of the choir. Um, that it's not um that every performance every performer comes with that attitude of of telling the story to the audience and then i think that storytelling element of of the programming as well is is new and exciting um and i think one one more thing i'd want to just sort of add in at this point is that it's important to not sort of plow on with your blinkers on and and um the, even even talks like this today is really lovely to see to talk to colleagues like you know you as conductors you also you rarely see anyone else conducting um and you and you rarely talk to each other um partly because life's so busy and and sometimes when it's your day off it's really you need the day off um and I guess collaboration I think is uh, is the thing that I've been thinking about the most recently. We, we've just started an artistic partnership with Manchester Camerata. Um, and um, to be able to sort of talk with their artistic planning team and to devise concerts with them and open up, I guess, choral orchestral music for us as well, that's really exciting. But really it's, for me, the most important part of, of those sorts of partnerships is being able to talk and share ideas um, about not just the music, but also about how to get audiences in and how to raise money and all of these things where sharing is actually <clears throat> so important because 
as you say, times are quite rough at the moment. So <laughs> if we share ideas, it's a lot easier. Yeah, there's a risk, isn't there, that we kind of jealously guard our secrets and, yeah. and, and kind of, I've got this brilliant idea, I'm not telling anybody. Um, and actually, I don't know, perhaps, Robert, you've got a view about this, this kind of idea of mentoring or of sharing ideas, sharing ways that we can access and offer this this brilliant, what we all agree is brilliant stuff to a wider audience. They're, they're, off, they're often, they often stay private, don't they? And I think that's a, that to me seems counterintuitive. That touched such a nerve, what Ellie just said. Um, uh, I mean, I have I have a, an agent, maybe Percival, who works for me. I have people I talk to in the Fagellini Trust that we set up a few years ago. Um, and that has been lovely because a lot of the time it has felt like you're on your own. So much of the time, as I said right at the beginning, no one's particularly interested to see you succeed. They're all too busy doing other things. And you're far too busy trying to do anything you can to make your group succeed to be getting out there and generally having these kind of conversations. My best moments have either come from when I've gone for a run and my brain's actually free and stopped emailing um, or when I've had a a chance coffee with someone. Um, And I think whether you're running a sort of an amateur community choir or or something supposedly very high end, talking to other people and doing things with other people means that you can you can piggyback on their audience, they can piggyback on yours, you'll learn something from them. But it does require a certain amount of emotional energy, doesn't it? Um, and on a day when you've got so many different things to think, especially as freelancers, you know, I'm an ex-freelancer, I suppose, there's so much to do. Is it actually helping to pay the rent that month that that month um but i do think it's the way to go and finding a little bit of reflective time a friend of mine in south africa brett piper who put our south african collaboration together back in the 90s which i think is the one the most single most interesting thing i've i've been involved in uh, because the two cultures are so wildly different so south african american style gospel choir that became more interested in in uh, traditional music he said that he has to start the day with creative stuff and not even look at his inbox because his inbox will just take over and he will do nothing else for the rest of the day. So he gone slightly off piste. But um, yeah, the, the big bottom line is is talking to other people and being brave enough to have those conversations. Yeah, I think that's one of the quite lucky things about, um, certainly from my perspective, about having two other people on the, on the team actually, um, has been that right from the outset, I think particularly working collaboratively with singers as well, it's been quite interesting not just from a kind of um, you know how we how we push the choir forward, but 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 also just from a musical perspective. I think actually having that collaboration because um, I think sometimes there can be that sense of there's a there's a block between the conductor has these ideas and the singers accept them and say yes. And actually, I think from the outset we've always had an idea of you know if, if people disagree with me, they can. And I think you know um, Kirsty and Danny um, have on. Uh, it, there's always been a big moment with the uh, the last. Uh, last section of Howl's Take Him Earth for Cherishing, Take Oh Take Him. And we've disagreed about whether there should be a break or not between those two takes. And uh, um, and we we vehemently disagree, actually, but we have done both in concerts um, <laughs> to see which one we prefer. <laughs> I'm, I'm still very taken by something you said and the particular choice of vocabulary you used, Harry, early in the programme about a sol- soloistic approach. And... Uh, we're, we're, it's tricky with vocabulary here, isn't it? But the, the UK Oxbridge-based tradition and cathedral choir-based tradition, but possibly less so, that has led to an absolute glorification of a, a straight sound with sort of 
well, something I think most listeners will understand, which, let's be honest, is an extraordinary thing, and it has really got the public imagination. It has led to an assumption, an assumption all around the world that does this kind of music, um, that that is the norm. And you've had to use the word soloistic just to register singers using their voice in, I think, in a good, healthy way. Because isn't there an issue in which if you if, if, if vibrato is heard in our land with a choir, in any repertoire that that might be slightly suspect of, then people think, oh, they weren't listening. They were singing for themselves. Well, you, you can do both because we have ears as well, which is our biggest, biggest instrument. And, you know, up here at University of York, the whole connection between what you do in your singing lessons, feeding into how you sing in a choir is something we're really strong on. But while listening and still, you know, modifying everything that way. One thing we've really talked about quite a lot is that this sort of you know, purity of tone and um, maybe come, it's come down through the, the cathedral tradition. It, it's a it's a colour. It's one of a colour. You know, it's a, a number of colours that we can use. And, that, and actually it makes it so much more exciting and so much more and so much more special if it is one colour and it's compared to everything else. You go, wow, isn't that a moment of real calm and serenity? But now let's go back and 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 get on something like that. And um, and I do agree. I think one of the things I often find is that in this attempt to make a, a this pure sound is that sometimes the singing lacks energy. Um, and I think you know the the energy in the singing is such an important thing. It, you know, I feel like sometimes I try and look at very even very very small miniatures. I'm looking at them as almost in symphonic in their structure, and what's the trajectory of the piece and how we're we doing it. And and I think the quality of the sound and how the sound is produced, I think is a really important way of finding direction in, in the piece as well. I think it's all very much linked. And, and I think, you know, you mentioned tuning as well. I think sometimes, you know, poor tuning can come from disconnected singing as much as anything else. And I, and I think it's all linked. Yeah, I'd agree with that, Harry. And that if, <clears throat> if you use that sound as a color, you get that kind of those amazing magical moments, but also the sort of, I don't like saying raw, but basically your your actual sound, the sound that you're working on in your singing lessons, like you say, Robert, it sounds more human. And I think as a listener, the it's easier to connect to that sound. I think it's easier to uh, for an audience to kind of feel the warmth of that sound, I think. Um, and that's why I encourage that as well, because I just think it sounds more normal, basically. That's it, isn't it? It's really, it's it, it takes... It, it risks at least let's say taking away what is unique about our voices and that's that's something I've never really understood as a kind of a, a tool for communication is the sense of actually we must you know not, don't, don't get too thorny but you know you asking women to sound like boys is not great on any level <laughs> and it's and actually taking out anything individual about different rates of vibration of a particular instrument again that's not something you'd normally ask an orchestra to do except as a, as you say, as a colourful option, I, I think a lot of uh, a lot of choirs that, that people might be thinking of um, as uh, you know, because we're now we're now sort of um, uh, whipping an animal that isn't in the room to defend itself, and I, I think a lot of those conductors would um, would say, well, that's not actually what I ask for, and so you know, we're not pointing out, we're, we're trying to encourage a different sort of uh, a different sort of approach. I think it's getting towards time to wrap up but just before we do um from both of you i'd love to know a little bit what's coming next what you're excited about 
And if there's time, just a, a little sense of firstly what the future looks like more broadly, but also maybe what you'd like the future to look like. We're, we're, we're likely to get a new government, aren't we, in the next year or so? Um, what are we looking for from them to help us pour coral sorts? Um, so I guess in the immediate future coming up, um, we have a programme called Love is Love, um, which is in February. It's right near Valentine's Day, of course. Um, and it celebrates all things love. Um, and we have a particular focus on LGBTQ plus um, lives and lovers through composers and pieces. Um, so we're really looking forward to that in um, Salford and Leeds, um, if you're around, 15th and 16th of Feb. Um, um, long term, um, for Cantos in particular, as I said earlier, I would absolutely love to have a, a core group of singers who live and work as salaried professional choral singers in the north of the country. I think that would be incredible. Um, and I'd also love to have a, a home for the choir as well. That would be on the wish list. Um, how does that come about? Um, I guess with um, a government that wants to put more money into the arts in this country, um, make it a little bit easier to get some Arts Council England funding um, and the like. It's a dream. Isn't it? It feel, feels quite distant, doesn't it? <laughs> it's, it's a dream, but it starts with a recognition that the arts are important and a recognition, even if there's no extra money, that from, from the top of society, that music is A, good on its own terms and B, phenomenally good in, uh, as part of the education of children. And we shouldn't have to keep screaming about this when it's so patently proved in research that it's the case. And I think it's important to note as well that it's it's valuable in and of itself, not because it can help you with your maths grades as well. You know, I think that's really important. Um, the, the other thing is, I know preaching really li literally to the choir here, um, but, you know, it's in, there's a mental health crisis effectively in the country and music is just something that simply put helps. And the, the fact that they're not, that they don't seem prepared to to contribute to it seems a bit counterintuitive to me. Anyway, Harry, what's next for you? Yeah, similarly, um, we've got some concerts coming up um, in Wiltshire and, and in Oxford um, in the next couple of months and a couple of workshops as well for um, amateur singers who can come and uh, hope spend a day with, with me and some of the singers um, seeing sort of how we work and, and being taken through some, some repertoire, which should be really fun. Um, what's next for us? I mean, I think we would really love at some point to record a, a first proper album. That's that's definitely um, um, on the cards for us. Um, a case of of money and uh, and finding the right program as well. I think it's for your first album as well. We want to really make sure that we um, that we pick pieces that mean a lot to us and have a real concept. What would you do then? Go on, tell us one thing at least that you'd really love to record, Harry. On my wish list. Um, actually, to be honest, one on my wish list would be um, "Howls the Summer Is Coming." Is actually on my, which I think has has, has featured already today so far. But um, yes, that's definitely on on my wish list. Um, but alongside that, um, things maybe some Tormis as well, um, some Estonian music, um, and some Brahms as well. I'd really like to record um, some of the Brahms, uh, possibly the Sieben Lieder or the Fünfgesänge, um, and I think that would be quite fun. Ellie, what's on your list? I don't know. You don't have to ask Again? me. <laughs> I'm actually oh, really? not sure what's an answer. 
I'd like well the the my the what I would like to put down on an album is our program called which is called In Your Dreams which we've already done and it's it's basically um an, a a sort of night through your dreams where there's music that's sort of lullaby and sleep inducing and then there's completely nonsensical random stuff including um the I think I think you pronounce it Shiba three nonsense songs um and it basically just goes between lullaby and and madness and I think it's just a very kind of ridiculous program and I really would like to get that down on an album so there you go that's cool I love your I love the titles of your programs and love with mm. love and in your dreams they're excellent um look I think time for the last track Ellie another one from you so the final track is um by a composer called Lisa Robertson who is um a Scottish composer um and she wrote this, I believe, as one of the National Youth Choir Fellows um, when, when um, a few years ago, when she was one of the sort of composers in residence. Um, and Cantos performed this, and I absolutely loved it. It's called um, To Tell It Like It Is. Um, and kind of sticking with keeping things relevant, um, she has taken um, uh, kind of headlines and quotes from um policies and um the news and um use the words to create a choral piece that is all about um the effects of climate change um and yeah to tell it like it is i think that says exactly what it's all about but there's this um kind of insistent um tiktok sound throughout which gives this kind of <laughs> Sadly, a feeling of impending doom. It's a good way to end. <laughs> oh no, impending doom. We were under strict instructions to keep the podcast positive at the keep end. Like, keep it light. That. That. You've ruined everything. <laughs> we could go, we could, let's call the episode impending doom. Impending doom. <laughs> what a great name for a group. Exactly. <laughs> Gigatons, gigatons. 
tons every year of CO2. That was Lisa Robertson's To Tell It Like It Is, sung by the National Youth Choir of Great Britain, conducted by Ben Parry. Nice to meet them, wasn't it, Robert? Dreadful people. Dreadful people. You don't like the competition? No, definitely not. Just, you know, if I've got one takeaway from that, it was get out there and talk to other people. Um, I mean, you talk about this in... We talk about this in, in, in business, how it's really good to have people from different backgrounds in the room deciding things because you get so many more perspectives. Um, and, you know, for so, we tend to sort of thrive. I think the publicity world thrives on solo geniuses doing their thing uh, all on their own. And, you know, the big lesson is get out there, talk to other people, get other perspectives in, um, which I've not been particularly good at historically myself. So that's a, a lovely thing for me to get out there. And... No, and a slight, I think, misunderstanding generally that 
because this we're all scraping around for we feel the same work that someone else's success is our own failure but i'm not sure that's necessarily true is it no and uh, the thing about building audiences through uh, you know through it sounds lazy picking back on other things but it's obvious isn't it yeah. the number of people this came out in the chat the number of people who actually want to go and hear a specific piece of choral music is getting smaller and smaller because those people who would know it were the people who had music education at state school level in the 50s, 60s, 70s, that golden period. And that has gone down and down and down since the 1980s for reasons we know. Uh, And so you're going to have to find other reasons to get people along. And it can be because there's poetry or it can be because there's drinks afterwards or or whatever. Uh, I don't think that's cheapening it. If you're serious about the music making, and those two are, I note that um, Ellie's just off for a sixth concert tour of Scotland with the Royal Scottish National Orchestra. Yeah, she's got a position with them, I think, hasn't she? Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Excellent. No, both both great news, those two, I think. Dynamic and uh, got, seems to have their hearts and their heads in the right place. So thanks to Ellie Slorak of Cantos Chamber Choir, with the K-K-N-T-O-S, and Harry Bradford, not from Bradford, of uh, Recordare Chamber Choir, Recordare, to remember. Lovely thing, the pictures of, of Harry conducting, obviously carefully selected, but he always looks happy when he's conducting. And as a singer, to look up to a happy-looking conductor, it's, it's not always the case, is it? It, it is not, no. That's, I think that's fair to say. I, I think it's, it, I think there's something about smiling i often tell my students that you know solo singers you know it's okay to smile there's something that we think is sort of cheap or glib about smiling but an audience likes to be smiled at and singers when they're singing i think i think it genuinely does help the sound and helps the product if if the person at the front is emanating the good vibes and actually i mean just technically i understand smiling is good for your singing julia doyle was saying in that benevoli episode back to um uh, back in September when we were releasing that Benevoli disc that she thought she'd sung well because she'd be laughing quite a lot of the time and that tickly feeling. Um, but where, where did it come from, this idea, this po- slightly po-faced thing that you couldn't smile? I remember something I had to say to BBC singers when I was going on to do a prom with them once, clang, um, and that was don't put your professional face on as you walk on because it reads as bored. Let yeah. people see you smile as, as you go on. I've, I've just remembered referring to that episode that we were meant to mention Patreon again, weren't we? Oh, yeah. What's Patreon, Robert? <laughs> Patreon is... Now, what we'd like, obviously, is for people to listen to this on the Patreon platform. Just go to callchihuahua.com and you can see ways which you can give us an extraordinarily small amount of money per month. Um, which is extraordinarily highly appreciated given the smallness of the money. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, that's exactly right. Personal letters written in your own blood. Um, right. uh, so that we can carry on doing this. And also so we can um, we can pay our freelance contributors, which is important. Uh, yeah, the other thing time. about um, about smiling, uh, I went to a brilliant talk by, I think her name Charlotte Tomlinson, about uh, performance anxiety, about nerve, about nerves and that kind of thing. She was talking at Cambridge. Um, and she was saying that I think I think it's part of the same thing. We think that our minds control our bodies, but in fact, if you smile, it sends a chemical through your system saying you're fine, things are okay. You don't need to be so nervous or so scared. And actually, even just if you, if you are nervous, walking on stage smiling sends a, a kind of cool message to your body. And I think that's that's a good tip. While deep down, your body is telling you that you look a pillock. Yes, I. Always, yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's it's a big thing, isn't it? Uh, yeah. the mind over body and the connection between body and mind. We think there. But Susan Young telling me that um, you know the, the approach of singing teachers uh, to describe certain things you can do muscularly to to improve sounding, which is absolutely part of teaching and their understanding. But there are certain muscles that you can only access through emotion. There are certain sounds that you will only get by having an emotion, as opposed to oh, I lift my soft palate out and whatever. Yeah, Very good. Well, thanks for listening, um, and we'll be back in two weeks. Uh, please tell your friends about the podcast. We we need to get our numbers up, so please tell your friends, tell your choirs, um, moan about it over coffee, uh, write to us, send us a voice note. No one has yet. No one has sent us a voice we'll note. We'll play it. Well, look, yeah, we might. We might. might. Yeah. Tell us what you think. Tell us an interesting thing about your choral experience. Spread the word, and see you soon. Cheerio. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Just before you go, another reminder to try listening on Patreon, which costs just a few pounds per month. Or, if you prefer, you can very simply make a one-off donation. You can actually do either via choralchihuahua.com. Thanks.